0: How's that better? Echoing. Echoing. Well, I'm Curtis. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm richly blessed to bring the word to you today. We can do something with this uh, microphone. Should have never taken it off. We will be in Psalm 62 this morning. If you'd like to open your scriptures to Psalm 62, and. uh, I'd like to begin with a phrase that we hear so often, so often in his word, so often in teaching of his word, and it is since the fall, since the fall. Everything in your life, everything in my life, we act and react since the fall. It affects everything. It affects who we are and what we are, even as true disciples of Christ. Nearly everything that we find in his word pertains to since the fall. And so this is our world. And in Psalm 62, David gives us mighty tools to deal with this life that is so hard since the fall and tools that uh, will carry us, that will remind us, that will strengthen us. Because since the fall, we have forgotten, and as true disciples of Christ, we forget all the time that God is good and that God is faithful and that his steadfast love endures forever. And you say, Curtis, I don't forget that but I think that every time that you go through a test or a trial, you prove that you forget that because I prove that I forget that every time. And so Psalm 62 has given me tools that I've probably used for a decade because I taught this passage a decade ago and, uh, and I'm reminded of how it has been in my pocket and I pull it out at times when I forget that God is God. And he is always only good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are good and you are faithful. And yes, your steadfast love endures forever. And I pray that you have prepared hearts this morning to hear your word, to take these truths, to put them in their pocket, to use them in defense of the enemy of the devil, of, the, of Satan, that his game has always been the same, that we would doubt your goodness and that you were truthful and loving. Lord, speak through me in a mighty way and may your kingdom be furthered. You are our God and our king. and We pray this in your son's precious and holy name, amen. So the book of Psalms then, we're in the book of Psalms this morning. And the Book of Psalms is the largest and perhaps most widely used book in the Bible. It explores the full range of the human experience in a very personal and practical way. It's 150 songs run from the creation through the patriarchal, uh, theocratic, monarchal, exile and post-exile periods of Israel. The subject matter is diverse. It covers topics such as jubilation, war, peace, worship, judgment, messianic prophecy, praise, and lament. The Psalms were set to the accompaniment of stringed instruments and served as the temple hymn book, a devotional guide for the Jewish people. They were penned over almost a thousand years from the time of Moses, which was about 1410 B.C., to the post-exile period under Ezra and Nehemiah. Almost half of the Psalms were penned by David, the rest by known and unknown authors. The book we have is a collection of Psalms that were collected through time in separate collections and then joined together. Hebrew poetry doesn't have a meter. Dan's amazed that I even use that word, huh, Dan? Or rhyme as in English. Rather, Hebrew used different literary devices. Psalm 62 is a psalm of David. Commentators believe David penned Psalm 62 while being attacked by his third son, Absalom. Absalom lost respect for his father, the king, after David failed to punish Am- Amnon, for raping Absalom's sister, Tamar. Absalom eventually killed Anon and and was exiled for three years, only to return and conspire to overthrow his father, King David. It's at this point in David's life, commentators believe that David penned Psalm 62. David being attacked, persecuted, and slandered by his son. That's what he's dealing with. And I cannot imagine the stress that David was under. His throne, his leadership under attack, his own son driving the uprising, all the while his own home is divided. David fully understood Ephesians 6, verse 12, where we read, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, because it is all since the fall. David understood all our battles are spiritual. His attack was not from his son. His attack was from Satan. Satan is the great deceiver. He is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's what the word tells us. All that being said, he is crafty, blurring the line between right and almost right. As true disciples of Christ, as those who live by faith, because we do, don't we? Isn't that what we claim? When we're going through an attack, a trial, or a test, Satan wants us to believe one of three lies. Three lies concerning God. That God's love is not steadfast. He wants you to believe that. And that he is not all powerful. And that God won't punish evil. And if he can get you to do that, then he gets you to doubt God. If we begin to believe any one of these lies while we're in the throne of a trial, we will lose our trust in the one true God. This is where we find David in Psalm 62. This is where David finds himself battling to reject these three lies of Satan. Psalm 62 is known as the only psalm the only psalm the same Hebrew word found six times in Psalm 62 is translated in the ESV as only alone and in verse 9 as but for the six times in this passage the word is used in reference to God and each time it's used in reference to God it begins the sentence for emphasis David uses the repetition of this Hebrew word to drive home the main point to his audience. So what's David's aim in this psalm? When in the throes of the greatest trials of life, we will enjoy the peace of God, when God only, God alone, is our salvation and our refuge. That's what David wants us to know. When in the throes of the greatest trials of life, we will enjoy the peace of God, when God only, God alone, is our salvation and refuge. So let's look at how the psalmist uses only and alone in Psalm 62, which I told you guys to turn to, but i got to turn through still. Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. For him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be gladly, excuse me, greatly shaken. How long will all of of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. The only plan to thrust him down, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O God, rest my salvation and my glory. My my mighty rock and my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a, a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hope on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. The power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to To his work. There's that bottle of water, huh? This morning we're going to look at six truths that David used to come to complete trust in God. I'm going to share six truths as we work through Psalm 62. Let's look at 62.1 again then. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. The first truth David used to come to complete trust in God is, Deliverance originates with God alone. Submit to his sovereign grace. Deliverance originates with God alone. Submit to his sovereign grace. David begins Psalm 62 with, The cornerstone phrase of the passage again the use of this word alone puts the emphasis on God for God alone only God God alone now remember David penned this as king it means that he has the authority he has the wealth he has horses and chariots and men at his disposal he has everything the world has to offer. Everything the world uses for security. But for David, it is God alone, only God, confidence in God. Now did you notice David's not in prayer? This Psalm is not a prayer, David's not praying here. We don't see David petitioning the Lord in Psalm 62. He's not beseeching the Lord to deliver him. That's not what he's doing. As David takes us through this psalm, we see him come to an absolute and undisturbed peace. A man that's tormented in the beginning to peace at the end. Peace in a trial through confidence in God. Is that what you want? That's what I want. That's what I want when I'm going through it. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Now David's not speaking of the salvation from the penalty of sin here, even though he is looking forward to the cross. And David is redeemed by the shed blood of Christ. But here in verse 1, David is speaking of God's deliverance from his enemies. That being said, David's reference hasn't kept great men of God from preaching God only is our salvation through this passage. Spurgeon himself preached two sermons from the psalm. One was titled, God Alone, the Salvation of His People. In that sermon he wrote, I cannot find in scripture any other doctrine than this. It is the essence of the Bible. Tell me anything that departs from this, and it will be a heresy. And I shall find its essence here, that it has departed from this great, this fundamental, this rocky truth. God is my rock and my salvation, not by works, God alone, only God. If we believe that God loves the unlovely, if we believe Christ fulfilled the law, if we believe Christ's blood was sufficient, if we believe we have received salvation from the penalty of sin, would not the God that has delivered us from his wrath, that has shown us his mercy, that has bestowed his grace, save his chosen from their enemies. Wouldn't he do that? David tells us, from him comes my salvation. David's telling us his rescue in this trial originates with God. You have to understand that. That's key here. It originates with God. It's not his horses. It's not his chariots. It's not his military. It's not his wealth. It's not the fact that he's a king and he can lay down an edict. We're finding a man that needs nothing depending only on God. God alone, only God. And it's important because David doesn't react like we do. Do you see that? Because Curtis uses everything at his disposal. disposal. Because my flesh wants to take over and it doesn't matter what it is. David doesn't run around looking for deliverance and he doesn't look to money or power or authority. And he doesn't ponder a scheme. He doesn't try to manipulate. And he doesn't try to leverage himself. And he doesn't run and hide. So what does he do? For God alone my soul waits. And what's it say? In silence. In silence. Confident in God's sovereign grace. His soul waits for only God, God alone. That's so important. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound easy? It sounds easy until you're in the throes of a trial. It sounds easy until you're attacked. How often does your soul wait in silence for God alone? It's a tough place, right? It's a tough place. I think especially tough for men because we want to wiggle our fingers in there, right? We want to fix it want to take care of something. We want to get it behind us. As King David had everything at his disposal, power, authority, soldiers, horses, chariots, yet he waits in silence. Our flesh wants to move to use everything at our disposal. It's right now. Doesn't it come up in your mind right away? We want to influence the situation. Verse 1 doesn't say, God helps those that help themselves, does it? It doesn't say that. It's not even in the Bible. In verse 1, David tells us, From God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Is that me? And is it you? Deliverance originates with God alone. Submit to his sovereign grace. Let's look at sixty-two 62.2. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. The second truth that David uses to come to complete trust in God is, your security and protection is in God alone. Know that you will not be greatly shaken. Your security and protection is in God alone. Know that you will not be greatly shaken. David sees his protection as, listen to me, personal. Personal. Some 14 times he uses the word my in this psalm. 14 times. Let's look at 1 and 2 and then 5 through 7 again. For God alone is my soul. Well, excuse me. For God alone my soul waits in silence for him who comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Jump down to verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O God, rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock and my refuge. God my rock my salvation my fortress I shall not be greatly shaken the rock the cornerstone everything that makes David David is built upon Christ immovable and unshakable David knows that he will be delivered but he also knows he's being protected he tells us in 62.2, he alone is my rock and my salvation. And then he says, my fortress. My fortress. God alone is my fortress. So many of you know that our son went to Afghanistan, and he took two tours over there as a United States Marine. On his second deployment, as he puts it, they were blown up every day. Every day. Every day. And I remember receiving a call from him one day, and it had been a month since I heard from him. And uh, he was uh, calling from a FOB, from a forward operating base. He was inside the wire, and my point is he was inside a fortress. And for that moment, for me, knowing he was talking to me from inside a FOB, I knew that he was safe. Safe inside a fortress. Could there be mortar attacks? Sure, right, could the base be attacked? Yeah, but Marines don't get attacked, right? But he was inside a small fortress, there was a wall, and there was a barrier, and for me, there was peace. And I knew that he would not be greatly shaken. I hung up the phone with him that day and I sat down on the escalator I was working on and just cried because he was safe for a moment inside the fortress. David knew that he was safe inside the fortress. Do you know that? Do you realize that as his disciple, that you are safe inside the fortress? When the tack is just out there, where do you find yourself? He alone. God alone, he is my rock, my salvation. He is my fortress, and I shall not be greatly shaken. David knew he was safe because of his fortress. When you're in the throes of a trial, when the attack comes, your security and protection is in God alone. Know that you will not be greatly shaken. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall and a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse him. The third truth David uses to come to complete trust in God is, and this is a tough one. You ready? the world only seeks your demise. Know that the attacks will never end. Ouch, right? Ouch. The world only seeks your demise. Know that the, attack, the attacks will never end. David says in verse three, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him down? Again, some see this psalm in the context of Absalom's rebellion, but we don't know for sure. But we do know is this, The attack had been going on for a long time, okay? And David asks, how long will you all attack a man? And we also see that there's more than one attacker. David says, how long will all of you attack a man? Now, I truly believe that if you're not in a trial right now, that you're just between trials. I believe that. This life, this journey, the path of sanctification is paved with trials. But as true disciples of Christ, as those called according to his purpose, we must never forget this life, this journey, this path of sanctification is paved with victory after victory after victory. If you're in the throes of a trial today, victory is ahead because you belong to him and he is your king, and he shed his blood for your soul. I've told this in the past, one of the greatest blessings of studying his word is how I toss and turn through the night as I study his word, and I'm revisiting it in my dreams. And I've shared before, one of the most memorable times was Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to to his purpose. And all night long I was tormented with, and we know. And we know. And Paul is saying, we know this, right? We know this as his disciples, that all things are for the good, for those that know him and are called according to his purpose. And I wrestled with it all night long saying, do I know that? Do I really know that when I'm in the throes of a trial? that all things are for the good, for those that are called according to his purpose. And does my life show that? Does it display that? And listen to me, look at me. David knew it. David knew it, and his life showed it. He knew the trial would be long, and he knew his attackers were many, yet he didn't see himself between trials. David saw himself victorious in Jesus Christ. And again, this psalm isn't a prayer. David's not praying. Is David beat up? Absolutely, he's beat up. Verse 3 tells us he's like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. But that's what his attackers see. You understand that? They almost got him knocked down, they almost got the wall toppled. But this psalm is a psalm of victory. And David doesn't see himself between trials, nor does he see himself between victories. David sees himself being led from victory to victory. David understood what Paul told us us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But thanks be to God, who is in Christ, who in Christ always leads us, always leads us, in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance aroma of the knowledge of him. Everywhere. It's always a triumphal entry, excuse me, procession. David knows he's being attacked. He knows his attackers are many. He hears their false witness. He hears their lip service. He knows that inwardly they curse him. And he also knows that God always leads him to triumph. Always. He alone, only God, God alone. Do you see it? Do you get it? When you're being slandered, when they're nice to your face, but seek only your demise. When you're a tottering fence. Do you say, God always leads me to triumph? God alone, only God. The world seeks only your demise, and the attacks will never end. That's not a comfort, is it? It's not a comfort. But know that for the redeemed, the victories never end. Ultimately, we will behold his face. It ends in victory. Let's look at 62 5 through 8. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. The fourth truth David used to come to a complete trust in God is, your soul will ache from the attack. Dwell on the attributes of God alone. Your soul will ache from the attack. Dwell on the attributes of God alone. So does it look like David's repeating himself here as we dig in in verse five? Look again. In verse one, he's telling us that his soul waits in silence, right? Let's look at 62.5 again. What's he say? For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Why is David doing this? Because even though he's not greatly shaken, he's still shaken, right? He's still shaken. John Calvin wrote, A perfect faith is nowhere to be found, so it follows that all of us are partly unbelievers. What we see going on in verse 5 is David, excuse me, ministering to himself. That's what he's doing, telling his soul. Do you see that? He's telling his soul to wait in silence, to wait on God alone, only God. We see the same same thing in Psalm 42 and 43. The psalmist writes in 42.5, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil in me? Now, people may start thinking you're a little bit crazy when you start talking to yourself, right? And ministering to yourself and teaching yourself about God. We can use a hot August night's term, excuse me, a tooth off a top dead center. But no person walking this earth knows the turmoil going on inside of you like you do. Now, Lisa can see it in me when I'm going through it and my friends and family can see it in me. But I feel it, right? And I'm going through it. And the anxious heart and the chest pains and being a little on edge. And I catch myself talking to myself in the shower. right? Curtis has great conversations in the shower, right? The best of conversations in the shower. And asking myself, why am I truly upset? That's what I do. Why are you upset? What are you upset about, right? Martin, Lloyd Joy, excuse me, Martin Lloyd-Jones has this to say in his book, Spiritual Depression, Its Cause and Cure. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself. You see, David isn't listening to his soul as it aches inside of him. He is ministering to his aching soul. That's what he's doing. He's telling himself who God is. Look at the passage again. David is ministering to himself, to his very soul. Let's look at 5 through 7. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Speaking to himself. And I've learned years ago, as I go to the Lord, we've talked about this before, worshiping through the attributes of God. Reminding yourself as you begin to pray who God is. His omniscience. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his steadfast love, his faithfulness. He is the thrice holy holy God. Through through doing this, he not only increases and I decrease, but the proper perspective in everything brings peace. When David speaks to his soul, he's not plotting his enemy's demise. Do you see that? He's not talking about getting even with anybody or those things going on. He's not planning his escape. He's not telling his soul, excuse me, he's telling his soul, God alone is my hope. He's my rock. He's my salvation. And he's my fortress. Listen, David heaps these truths upon his own soul that is in turmoil, his soul that is still shaken, his soul that needs complete trust in God, His soul that needs to remember the greatness of God. There was a time in this little church that I was the only elder. I don't know how many people are left that really know that that went on. And I had to address hard things at that time. Problems that kept me awake. And you learn the blessing of the plurality of elders. Many men on their knees before God. The problems that kept my soul in turmoil. And I my mom shaking her finger at me, shaking her finger in my face, telling me truths I knew in my mind. And she's telling me truths that I had taught other people, But I could only see the trial, and I could only see the test. And I played it over and over in my head, right? What if this, what if that? I fed the fire of the turmoil in my soul. Right? I just dwelled on it rather than ministering to my soul and reminding myself who God is. And I wasn't being attacked. it wasn't an attack on Curtis, and I wasn't being persecuted, but I also wasn't telling my soul only God, God alone, and wait in silence because your hope is in him. When David says in verse 7, on God rest my salvation and my glory, he's telling his soul, Salvation from this trial originates from God and my deliverance is to his glory. It has nothing to do with who I am. It is by grace and God's unmerited favor. I love how David calls God my mighty rock in verse seven. He's reminding his soul of God's immovable strength. How his God is so much bigger than his attack. And after telling his soul his deliverance originates with God and is by grace alone to God's glory and that God is bigger and stronger than his trial, he tells his soul, my refuge is God. He is everything. God alone, only God. So then how do you respond if we're going to talk about it, really? By listening to your aching soul or by ministering to your aching soul by reminding your soul who God is? And how do we know that God's soul was at peace? Because he begins to tell you to do this very thing. Let's look at 62.8 again. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge to us. So he's ministered to his soul. He's reminded himself. He's told himself who God is. And now David is telling us to do the same thing, to do these things. Your soul will ache from the attack, dwell on the attributes of God alone. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Those of low esteem are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hope on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. The fifth truth David used to come to a complete trust in God is, the solutions of the world are temporal. Set your heart on God alone. The solutions of the world are temporal. Set your heart on God alone. Those of low estate are but a breath, he tells us. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance they go up, they're together lighter than a breath. So David's not speaking of his attackers here. Verse 10 lets us know that he's speaking of the solutions of the world. This is what the world does. This is how the world responds. And it's not that David is saying we have nothing to fear from man. That's not what he's saying. What he's telling us is, and listen to me, We have nothing to hope from them. Because when you resort to those things, there's no hope in that, right? Our hope is in the Lord. You have nothing to hope in these things that he's mentioned. Verse 10 says, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Don't do those things. Don't go there. Most people understand extortion, robbery, right? It's not a sin. Or excuse me, it is a sin. But the psalmist is telling us in verse 10, if you trust your riches, that's a sin too. You're trusting in the wrong thing. And Why is that? Because faith in anything but God is a sin. It is. Listen, the low in estate may trust in robbery for their needs, and the high, in, high of estate may place their faith in their money But what does our currency say on it? What's the dollar bill say on it? In God God we trust. Oddly enough, huh, are our founders pretty wise? Let's make sure that we trust in God. Even though this is our currency, our trust isn't in this currency. It's in God alone. Placing your faith in anything but God for salvation is a sin. Be it salvation from the penalty of sin or deliverance from an attack. Proverbs 11.4 4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The solutions of the world are temporal. Set your heart on God alone. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. We're almost done. You guys almost made it through all six. 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, along steadfast love for you will render to a man according to his work the sixth truth that david used to come to complete trust in god is god is love and powerful the wicked will be paid by god alone the once twice language that we see here is a common hebrew poetic device blessed is the man god speaks to once through his word and hears it time and time again in his life. You've heard this once this morning. Blessed if you hear it time and time again. The evil will be paid. The wage of sin is death. We don't have to worry about punishing the evil. Paul tells us in Romans twelve, nineteen: Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In verse 11 and 12, David tells us the very thing that we need to put in our pocket, that we need to take away from this passage, what we need to carry around from this psalm. Do you see it? Let's look at 11 and 12 again. Let's see if we see it. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. David leaves us with this after ministering to his soul. David saying, listen, this is what I know. This is what I know. God's love is steadfast. All power belongs to God, and he will repay evil. That's what he closes us with. His love is steadfast. All power belongs to God, and he will repay evil. That's pretty good to have in your pocket and to remind yourself when you're going through it. So why does he close with these truths? Because these are the truths Satan attacks right where we started, when we're in the throes of the trial, this is where he wants to instill doubt in you, that God's love is not steadfast. Because you're going through it and Satan's saying, God doesn't really love you the way he told you that he loves you. And the great deceiver wants you to think that God's not all-powerful. And so you've got to wiggle your fingers in there, and you've got to use influence, and you've got to use slander, and you have to manipulate, and you have to do these things. And he wants you to think that God will not punish evil. And what, all those, what do all those things do? It removes you from God alone, only God, from resting in silence as you go through it because you trust in the one true God because that's where we need to be as his disciples. Because since the fall, we act like the world. Because since the fall, so often, when the heat's turned up, we're no longer his disciples. We're just other sinners. And it's there for us in that freedom. Submit to his sovereign grace. Know that you will not be greatly shaken Know the attacks will never end. Dwell on the attributes of God alone. Set your heart on God alone. And the wicked will be paid by God alone. That's not your place. So rest in him. Psalm 62. Minister to your soul and rest in him. God alone. My Lord, my rock, my salvation. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, you are good and you are faithful and your steadfast love endures forever. And we are less than stellar disciples and we are greatly shaken and we turn and run and there is turmoil inside of us. And Lord, I pray that we learn to minister to our souls that when the test or the trial comes that we find ourselves on our knees reminding ourselves who you are and resting in that and knowing that you shed your blood, that we belong to you, that we are children of the King, and that his church would be a mighty witness as they go through so many difficult things in this life, going from victory to victory. Lord, bless this flock, bless these people. They are your servants and we are so dependent upon you and we rest in you. I pray this in your son's name, amen.